2022 meeting of the Franklin Town Council to order. Tonight we offer a moment of silence in memory of the 18 children and two adults who were murdered yesterday at the elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, and to show our love and support for that community. Thank you. Please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Announcements from the chair, all citizens are now welcome to attend public board and committee meetings in person. Meetings are live streamed by Franklin TV and shown on Comcast Channel 11 and Verizon Channel 29. In an effort to maximize citizen engagement opportunities, citizens will be able to continue to participate remotely via phone where you may click the Zoom link that is on the posted agenda and on the town's website. The phone number is 1929-205-6099. And enter the meeting ID number, which is 849-2621-5441. And then you need to hit the pound button. If residents are just interested in watching the meeting, it will also be live streamed by Franklin TV. Chairman, uh, uh, everybody is here this evening, so there will be no counselor participating remotely. Citizens' comments, citizens are welcome to express their views for up to three minutes on a matter that is not on the agenda. The council will not engage in a dialogue or comment on a matter raised during citizens' comments. The town council will give remarks appropriate consideration and may ask the town administrator to review the matter. Is there anyone in council chambers that would like to speak on an item not on tonight's agenda? Filling everybody's needs, right? <laughs> Having everything on the agenda. Uh, yeah, I haven't gone to them. Okay, now is there anyone out in Zoom land that would like to speak on an item not on tonight's agenda? And there is someone, uh, Marissa, if you just uh, unmute yourself and name and address, please. Uh, sure. Uh, good evening. My name is Marissa Bobie, and I am a Franklin resident at 69 Millican Avenue. Um, while we all have many important concerns to focus on in our lives and as community members, I believe one of the most pressing matters for our immediate future is climate change. Just this past weekend saw the first May heat advisory issued since 2006 and Worcester set a record temperature of 90 degrees on Sunday. 
Boston closed out 2021 as the warmest year on record, and NOAA's state climate summary for 2022 predicted New England to warm faster and to a higher degree than other areas of the country. This report also predicted the number of extreme precipitation events to more than double by the end of the century. These sorts of changes will alter New England and Franklin as we know it. And climate change is happening now, so it's crucial for us to act now while we still have the chance to mitigate these devastating predictions. The current scientific consensus is that to mitigate climate change, we must reduce carbon dioxide emissions and reach net zero by 2050. Net zero, in this case, is a term that refers to the condition where greenhouse gas emissions traveling into our atmosphere are being balanced out by a removal from the atmosphere. While offsetting our carbon emissions may be a part of this goal, greater, more stable success is to be had by lowering our emissions to balance with the natural processes that remove carbon dioxide already. We are currently putting more carbon dioxide into our atmosphere than is being taken out. And this is driving climate change. This is why net zero is such a key goal. In 2021, the state of Massachusetts passed a climate roadmap bill, which set the state net zero emissions target for 2050. These climate goals are what we need to help ourselves and our planet, but they are only the first step. Every town in Massachusetts must take action to help achieve these benchmarks, including Franklin. I commend the town council for committing earlier this year to looking into how a net zero emissions plan can be a part of Franklin's green community goals. This commitment to sustainability is what helped keep Franklin moving towards the future. While such a plan would potentially have many components, I want to recommend that the council seriously consider adopting a new stretch energy code. The Department of Energy Resources is currently working on drafting an updated social stretch building code that addresses the guidelines established by the climate map, including net zero goals. The code is anticipated to be released this fall. I ask that this be discussed once the new special stretch building code is released so that Franklin can do our part to help achieve net zero and to help keep our planet livable for our children and for future generations. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Is there anyone else out in Zoom land that would like to speak on an item not on tonight's agenda? Let's see anyone. Okay, moving on. Uh, with the time being shortly thereafter, seven o'clock, I will now open the public hearing on the fiscal year 2023 budget. Before I turn it over to the town administrator, on behalf of the entire town council, I first want to take this opportunity to thank and congratulate the entire municipal and school staff for another incredible job over the past year. As we sit here this evening, I can't help but think of the incredible work all of our staff have done to manage through the pandemic, the beginning of the recovery, and to get us back to somewhat sense of normalcy. I know I speak for everyone on this council. Thank you, great job. We are so proud of everyone and their service to our community. 
And at this point, I'd like to turn it over to the town administrator to give a brief statement before beginning the hearing. Uh, good evening, and uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and through you to the uh, council uh, and all the folks that are watching in Zoomland and at home on TV. Hopefully, people are getting this in just before the Celtics tip off. Uh, so I'll try to make it quick. But uh, in all seriousness, um, you know, as I present to you tonight uh, the town administrator's FY23 budget, I just want to take a minute, uh, like you did, uh, to thank the uh, town finance staff, uh, all town staff, and school staff the school committee uh, and the finance committee for their incredible work to date. Uh, as with every year, it was a team effort and none of this would be possible uh, without all of the work of the paid staff as well as all the volunteers to get to this point. Uh, with that being said, I sincerely hope everybody in the room tonight as well as all those folks watching at home uh, take a long hard look uh, at what this organization has accomplished over the last couple of years and what the future looks like. I implore everyone to take a very deep breath and enjoy the view from the top for just this moment in time. Uh, it is critical. Uh, why? Uh, we will continue to debate. We're going to agree, disagree, and we are certainly going to argue uh, about many policy issues facing the community. Uh, but I feel it's very important for all of us to reflect on where we currently are and appreciate what we do have rather than just focus on what we don't and that we should feel very grateful for what we stand for as a community, and in particular, what uh, the staff in this community and the volunteers have accomplished. The Franklin Public School District, as well as Tri-County and the Ben Franklin Charter School are preparing our youth for the next steps in their life better than they ever have before. The academic achievements, graduation rates, athletics, theater, drama, music have all been immensely successful, many of them award-winning. Through its endless clubs and activities for kids, the school community is, is quite as vibrant and as successful as it's ever been. Our fire department is literally a Fortune 500 fire department, nationally being in the top, not metaphorically the .0001%, but literally uh, of fire preparedness uh, in the nation, and we know that that came with a huge assist from our DPW. Our police department will soon become a fully accredited police department within the Commonwealth, accomplishing over 300 different standards of excellence in community policing and propelling our department into an elite category across the state. Our DPW is taking on some of the largest projects in town history with the Beaver Street Interceptor, stormwater implementation, and securing millions of dollars, by the way, in grants for new infrastructure on Grove Street and throughout the entire community to better our roads, trails, and, and drainage systems in the community. Uh, they have never had this much work to do. I know I speak for them in that. Uh, and I've never gotten a complaint from them uh, every single time uh, the DPW rises to the occasion. Our senior center, recreation department, library, veteran services, who all continue to provide superb, superb community programs and support for all ages and never cease to amaze the citizens in this town at how responsive, prepared, and innovative they are. The town has also made unprecedented investments in open space, parks, and trails. And to Mercer's comment earlier, the town has maintained our green community status by being not just a leader, but the leader in green technology advancement in our town facilities and schools. The town is very lucky to have a planning and permitting staff dedicated towards progressive and responsive development. And I would note in the Standard & Poor's uh, rating recently, they said the tax base is very diverse and its values reflect the town's strong real estate and commercial industrial base. 
truth is, uh, despite what we read on social media from time to time, we have an extremely knowledgeable and helpful permitting and planning staff that wants to help business, not obstruct them. And finally, Mr. Chairman, just a couple of weeks ago, the town received notice uh, that we have achieved the ultimate team accomplishment for a municipality by recently being awarded a AAA bond rating that reflects an administrative core of staff that is obviously very talented, passionate, and effective at their work. I'm going to conclude now by just simply suggesting, Mr. Chairman, uh, these days are easy to get lost in all of the white noise of society, media, and sometimes even ourselves. But the truth is, as I look here and reflect and look forward uh, and sit here tonight, the town's future is really, truly as bright as it's ever been. Uh, two years after the world has been shocked by the pandemic and other global unrest, Franklin sits here more resilient and accomplished than we ever have been before. And the fiscal year 23 town administrator budget uh, continues these investments in the community and we are very, very fortunate to be in the position we're in. I want to thank the town council for their continued support and all of us to do our jobs over the past year and we appreciate your support in the coming year as well. I also want to close by thanking the town finance committee for their support. They held three days of uh, public hearings. They do deep dives in every line item throughout the entire budget and at the end they unanimously passed this budget along from their committee to the town council tonight. Finally, I would be remiss uh, if I did not send out a special thank you to uh, Dr. Sarah Ahern, who we all know shortly is going to be leaving to go to the town of Barnstable. For many people in the superintendent's job, I think she's, she's, she's right there. She's <laughs> not in my sight line. Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, when you get to this chair, her chair, uh, we are uh, individuals who can always go home and know fairly what we've done right and what we've done wrong. Um, ultimately, we measure ourselves by whether or not, when we inherited this job, is the district or the community a better place than when it is when we left. And I don't think there's anybody that cannot make an argument that the school district is in a much better place after her five years of leadership as superintendent. I commend the school committee as well and want to thank them for hiring Lucas. Uh, we look forward to working with Lucas, everybody uh, that I work with on our team. Uh, has a tremendous amount of great relationships and a lot of faith uh, in Lucas's uh, ability to lead this organization and we can't wait. Well, we've already been working with him a lot, so uh, <laughs> we already know him pretty well, but uh, we look forward to his leadership as well. So obviously, I uh, appreciate the time, Mr. Chairman, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Jamie. Okay, on to the FY23 budget here. For those of you joining us for the first time, I'm gonna give an overview of the process for tonight's meeting. This process will be familiar to those of you who have been a part of previous budget hearings. As usual, Councilor Jones, as Councilor Clerk, will read each department in the proposed budget total from the voting document. The voting document is linked on tonight's agenda on the town budget website, social media channels, and on the screen here to be broadcast on Franklin TV. I will go in order as presented in the voting document so everyone can follow along. Each counselor will have the opportunity to hold any departmental budget. Any staff whose department is not held 
We're going to ask to please stick around in the event a counselor or a citizen later has any questions about those budgets as the hearing progresses. We will go in order of line item number, just like previous years. Public comment will only be after counselors have completed their questions for each department. As a council, we'll do our best to get through all of the department budgets this evening. May miss the third quarter. In an effort to avoid having staff to come back tomorrow. But we will certainly have to improvise as the hearings progress. Before we get started, I'm going to put a council hold on the following budgets, as I know there are questions from many, if not all of us, on those budgets. First one being public buildings and properties, which is facilities, uh, fire, police, schools and DPW. Those five departments uh, will have council holds. Everybody will have an opportunity to ask their questions. So with that, Councillor Jones, take it away. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. It would be my pleasure to read this year's proposed budget document. Uh, department 111, Town Council. This is the FinCom's recommended amount off of our voting document, $4,000. Department 123, Town Administrator. Personal expenses, $391,083. Expenses, $34,532 for a total of $425,615. Department 131, Finance Committee. Expenses, $1,500. Uh, Department 135, Comptroller. Personal, personal expenses, $491,450. Expenses $81,300 for a total of $572,750. Department 141, Board of Assessors, Personal Services, $327,321. Expenses $99,900 for a total of $427,221. Department 147, Treasurer Collectors, Personal Services, $379,142 with expenses of $91,105. For a total of $470,247. Department 151 Legal Services, Personal Services, $109,736 with expenses of $60,000. For a total of $169,736. Department 152 Human Resources, Personal Services, $241,532 with expenses of $34,750. For a total of $276,282. Department 155, Information Technologies, Personal Services, $37,645, with expenses of $384,597, uh, for a total in technology of $422,242. Town Clerk, hold. Hold, hold. Okay. Personal Services, $198,019, for expenses of $19,650. Uh, for a total for the town clerk of $217,669. Department 164, election and registration, personal services, $26,791, with expenses of $34,800. Total, total for election and registration, $61,591. Zoning Board of Appeals, expenses, $10,000. Uh, Department 177, planning and growth management, personal services, $300. 95,000. 
dollars with expenses of $32,300. For total on planning and growth, $428,271. Department 184, Agricultural Commission, $1,000. Department 192, Public Properties and Buildings. Uh, personal expenses, $2,967,999. With expenses of $4,539,000. For total of public properties and buildings of $7,506,959. Uh, Department 196, Central Services, total expenses of $150,000. Uh, subtotal of, gover of, of uh, general government, $11,145,583. Department 210. Personal services, $5,866,231. Uh, expenses of $316,140 for a total of police, $6,182,371. Uh, Department 225, personal expenses, $5,930,474 with expenses of $530,800 for a total of $6,469,274. Uh, Department 225, Regional Dispatch Expenses, $610,664. Department 240, is that Regional Dispatch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Regional Dispatch. Okay. <clears throat> Department 240, Inspection Department, Personal Services, $340,608 with expenses of $22,712 for a total of $363,320. Uh, Department 292 Annual Control Expenses 80,700. You heard that? Yeah. Tri-County Regional School, $2,540,198. Norfolk Aggie, $66,660. Subtotal for education, $72,827,683. Department 422, Department of uh, Highway Personal Services, uh, $631,136. Expenses of $545,100 for a total of $1,176,236. Department 422, DPW Park and Tree, personal expense services, $529,825. Expenses, $516,750 for a total on DPW Park and Tree of $1,046,575. Department 422, DPW Snow and Ice, personal services, 203,000 expenses. 852500 for total $1,056,500. Uh, Department 422, DPW Central Motors, personal services, $200,935 uh, with expenses of $667,900 for total on DPW Central Motors of $868,835. Uh, Department 422, uh, DPW Recycling, personal services, $84,528 with expenses of $100. $32,000 for total DPW recycling of $217,528. Department 422, DPW administration. Personal services, $180,839. Expenses, 
expenses of $211,300 for total DPW administration of $392,139. Department 422 DPW stormwater personal expense, personal services 252,414 expenses 677,000 for total of DPW stormwater of $929,414. Department 422 on, 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 on stormwater. I all the, I held all DPW. All so, the, all 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 the, and DPW Street Lighting, um, line 424, 24 is gone. So that's the total, subtotal of the Department of Public Works, $5,752,227. Uh, Department 510, Department Board of Health, uh, personal services, $257,056 with expenses of $48,400. Total, for total Board of Health, 305,456. Council on Aging, Personal Services, 460,951, with expenses for um, 6,700. For total, Council on Aging, $467,651. Department 543, Veteran Services, Personal Expenses, uh, Services, uh, 89,054, with expenses of 11,115. Veteran Services, of $165,000 uh, per subtotal for human services of $1,038,276. Uh, Department 610, library, personal services, $705,524. Expenses, $352,000. Uh, for total for the library, $1,057,524. Department 630, recreation, personal services, $336,147. Expenses of 270400 for total recreation of $609,547. Department 690. Department 690, Historical Museum, Personal Services, $29,708. Uh, expenses, $1,000 for total and Historical Museum of $30,708. Uh, Department 691, Historical Commission, $4,000 for expenses. Department 695, Cultural Council, uh, $15,000 for expenses. Department, Department 696, Cultural District Committee, expense of $1,000. Subtotal of Cultural and Recreation of $1,717,779. Department 710, Debt Services and Principals, um, expenses $4,199,000. Department 750, Debt Services and Interest, Expenses, $2,250,120. Subtotal of Debt and Interest, $6,449,120. Department 910, Employee Benefits, Expenses, $15,023,035. For subtotal of Employee Benefits of $15,023,035. Department 945, Risk Management, Total expenses, $700,000, with subtotal of liability insurance of $700,000. The total all general fund, $128,360,032. Um, under Department 434, Solid Waste Budget, Personal Services, $99,954, with expenses of $2,000,000. 
$467,000 for total and solid waste budget of $2,566,954. Department 440, sewer budget. Personal services, $802,798. Expenses, $3,828,510. Debt principal of $288,000. Debt interest of $85,010. Uh, for subtotal of sewer, $5,418,000. Department 450, water budget. Personal services, $1,479,850. Expenses of $2,306,000 with debt principal of $2,070,065. Debt interest of $604,367. Uh, for subtotal water, $6,460,282. Total amount of enterprise funds, $14 million. $31,554. Mr. Chairman, with a total operating budget of $142,391,586. Good job, uh, oh, Mr. Chairman. I, I want to hold 131 and miss that at the beginning. Okay. Thank you, sir. Okay. Thank you, Councilor Jones. As always, nice job. Okay, uh, we'll start. The first uh, line item held was 131. <laughs> Brian. Through you, Mr. Chairman. I actually held that one because I didn't know when to say this. Um, this year, because of the Finance Committee, I'm going to have probably half the questions I did because of their deep dive and what a great job they did. I just wanted to say that. And if people need to go back and watch those videos online, please, because it'll answer a lot of questions. And it actually saved me from asking a lot of questions that I probably would have already asked. So, thank you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Uh, next one held is uh, 161. Glenn? Yes, sir. You had. Yes, sir. It's, uh, it's it, line item 161 is in regards to the town clerk. Um, as far as personal services expenses, are, as far as personal services are concerned, I do realize that the town clerk's position is an elected position. It does not fall under the, the department of, of, of uh, the town administrator. And the total amount that the town clerk is currently allowed to make is set by the town council. I think that we would. Um, perhaps consider reviewing the total amount that the town clerk is currently making in comparison to other similar positions that are being involved in the town. Okay. Uh, any response? Could you clarify a little bit? Um, I guess my question would be to you. What is, the, what is an average town clerk making nowadays? Through you, Mr. Chair. So uh, we certainly have some of our own numbers, uh, but as all of you know, we hired a third-party consultant, uh, GovHR, uh, who's in the middle of a compensation and classification salary study. Um, and I believe the we're in the middle of that. Most of the folks in the room right now, just coincidentally, over the last few weeks, have had their interviews. They filled out all the appropriate paperwork with the numbers. And we expect to get that document and that report later at the end of the summer is my best is our anticipated time frame. Um, and so to answer that question uh, factually, 
uh, based on the same market metrics, the same comparables. Uh, many times in the past, uh, communities say, oh, well, we want to cherry pluck towns. Well, there's a methodology our consultant is using as to uh, uh, statistical uh, methodology to actually determine what are our comparable communities. What is the area that people are willing to commute for a job, et cetera, things like that. Not just the town clerk, but any position, non-union. Um, and like I said, that study should hopefully be done by the end of the summer um, with, uh, with, accurate, with accurate numbers uh, and to the current day. As we all know, to be honest, I mean, the labor market is very difficult. So it's a shifting dynamic in terms of what people are compensated. Um, but uh, this is an important tool for us, uh, not really just for recruitment. I've said it to all the folks in the room and I've said it to all of you. Um, with the success that the organization has had and the great job and the incredible team we have, um, it's, it's upon us, I believe, and certainly myself, I feel very strongly about this, that uh, we needed to go out and look uh, at our comparables to make sure we're adequately paying our staff uh, what the market should. And, uh, and so again, that study should hopefully be done by the end of August. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Jack. Well, that, that was kind of the same question I was going to piggyback on Glenn. Uh, because I know it's an elected uh, position, does she even get a cost of living raise? So she does. Absolutely. She uh, does get and the town clerks uh, in my tenure here have always gotten a cost of living adjustment in my seven years. Okay. The legislation uh, is on tomorrow night's agenda for the 2.5% cost of living adjustment uh, that is being offered to all of our employees. I didn't know it would be in an election. So, uh, sorry, through you, Mr. Chair. So, it is required under state law that y'all have to vote on that elected official salary. Oh, you right. have to set it. So, unfortunately, you know, uh, the town clerk position is the only one, uh, is the only position in that category. Uh, I know Mark would back me up on that. Uh, we've been through this many times before, haven't we? Um, and so, uh, uh, but the, the legislation tomorrow night, if you read it, mm -hmm. uh, sets the number at the two and a half, two and a half percent uh, uh, raise uh, than okay. all the other members of the staff. I wasn't sure because she was an elected official whether she got the cost of living raise. Absolutely. And um, yeah, and I, I'm curious to see if that's compatible to other towns with other town personnel. Council Plague. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I don't believe the two and a half went automatically to the clerk. What happened was, back in the day, you would get X amount added to your salary for coming before the council and asking for that. But never did they get another two and a half percent. So that, that's incorrect. And I think that Nancy certainly deserves a little bit more than what she is getting, but um, we have to be careful of what we say. As an elected official, we can only do one time during the year a salary increase. So if this survey is done in August, you can't make a change in that salary then. It's not gonna be until next year that she would, she would get the position of getting any kind of an increase, so. Jamie. So through Mr. Chair, um, you know, I was hired in, at the end of 2015, so I can only speak from then to today. There's two points. Um, the town clerk, you can look at the records, has gotten the cost of living adjustment every year since, since I've been here. It's just, that's just true. 
Number two, we can actually adjust the salary mid-year. Uh, it's just simply legislation that goes before the council and says this is what the rate would be in, you know, in the future. And the third thing I would add into this is every person standing in this, sitting in this room tonight, uh, everybody that's at home watching that's other member of our municipal staff, uh, you know, you have to be careful and I think people have to be fair and equal to some level. Uh, I'll go on the record and say it, um, you know, I think the world of Nancy. I think she does an amazing job. I think her, her office runs as well as any office in town government. There is no greater advocate uh, for uh, making her salary and that salary much more higher to a level that is much more market-based. I believe Nancy has fully uh, made sure that that job is a professional position. I think it's changed, as you would know, as well as anybody, Councilor Pellegrini, the job has been altered and has changed, and she's done it to an A-plus magnificent level. And I think this room over to the left of me probably feels exactly the same way. The thing I would just simply say is, is that, um, I think we do have to wait for the numbers to come out because I think in fairness and equity to all of the staff, um, many other people are asking for the same thing. And to be fair to them, uh, unfortunately the inconvenient truth of this is, is that the, the, the position you all have to vote on the salary. <laughs> and so there has to be a roll call vote at some point. And unfortunately for her, she's the only job because it's elected that has to go through that process. Thank you. Well, just that I don't agree with everything you're saying, and I will get back up information to show you. Um, but thank you. Thank you, Councilor Plagueri. Councilor Chandler. Through you, Mr. Chairman. To Jamie. Yeah, that's why I put her on hold because I saw we were approving the cost of living tomorrow night for her. But normally, obviously, we don't get involved in employee issues. But again, she's elected, so. What concerns me is, I'm looking out on, and it's all public record, every person out there, except for one department head, is way above Nancy. And I think she's just so low that I almost feel like we have to get her adjusted. I mean, every single, except one person I looked up and that person just started. So it's not a long-term employee. Every single person in this audience is above her. So I think that is a problem. Um, and I know we're going to need to find some money because I don't think we need to, I do not want to wait until the summer for a salary survey. I think that she's that low. So I, I don't know how that will be handled, Mr. Chairman. Maybe you can you have to find a place to take it from. So you'd have to take that money from some other budget <coughs> so in, yeah. order to, in order to... Uh, because we have 24 hours to look through this. Okay. <laughs> Be ready, somebody. <laughs> okay. Is there any, any other counselor? Anyone in the audience? Anyone in Zoom? Okay. We will move on to uh, 177, Planning and Growth. Uh, yeah, just a clarifier. The, the, I couldn't quite get the numbers to work um, for the increase. I'm just hoping you could explain um, the, the large increase in that. Through you, Mr. Chair, really quickly. Two okay. things. One, you'll notice a huge decrease in the building department uh, budget 
Uh, that's because all the permitting clerks were in uh, Gus Brown's budget. And now that all have been cross-trained and kind of within their own department, you'll see an increase for both, uh, for Tyler, is now, the, is now the administrative assistant in the planning department. So that full-time job came out of the building department and went into the planning department. It's just kind of a shuffling chair, you know, chairs around to accurately reflect, I think, the work that he's doing. You'll see it in the Board of Health as well. There's a plus one position there. It came out of Gus's budget, but Melissa is doing mostly health uh, committee-related work, uh, and so that switches there. And then the second uh, major adjustment is the fact that uh, our new conservation agent is now a full-time position as opposed to a part-time position. Um, and the bandwidth of the job is expanded. Uh, obviously, there's more than enough work to do. Um, and it was going to be extraordinarily difficult, if not possible, to hire a, a part-time conservation agent in this job market. Yeah, that was it. And I, I, I just met him. I, I had known that one, the part-time to, to full-time. I just met him. He's fantastic. Uh, so, thank you. That's Thank you, Paul Jones. Mr. Chairman, just a point, Jamie, to you. Um, is it a safe... It, it's safe to assume, unlike any other budget that we've always had, like planning your growth, where you're going to see changes um, reflected based on position movements, position removal, shifting of the budget. Uh, stormwater is one of those things, correct? Like stormwater was originally in the BW budget, and now it's in its own line. So there's a whole bunch of accounting changes that these numbers seem big in one and lower in another compared to last year, which is simply boils down to accounting. So share, to to Councilor John, some of those some of those large decreases and bumps are due to a couple of the jobs, like I just mentioned in the ground. So stormwater would be another example. And this one, right? This won't be the only but department that this is going to reflect on. Mm -hmm. There's too many, but it's not the only one. Right. right. Thank you, Mr. Thank you. Sorry, Mr. Chair. That was no, very it's okay. Thank you, Councilor Jones. Any other councilors? Mm -hmm. Anyone in the audience? Anyone on Zoom? <coughs> Okay, we'll move on to the next held uh, department, which is uh, 192 facilities, uh, and I put a council hold on that. Uh, Mike, I know you're in the audience. First off, I want to say thank you. Please come forward. Uh, to you and your entire team, obviously including all the custodians for another incredible year. And to once again remind folks that we were the first municipality in the state to install the UVGI technology in our town and school buildings. And for being an integral part in keeping our employees, our students, and the public safe. I want to thank you for that. I only have one quick question, and that is, what are the big projects you foresee working on over the next year? Well, a couple things first. There are more from last year that we're getting out to bid right now. Um, you approved some extra money for the Horace Mann drainage to stop the flooding in there from the rainwater. So we're getting that out to bid. Um, the Red Brook Schoolhouse, uh, once that, you know, gets through the funding process, but we'll, before the funding process is complete, um, we will have hard bids to restore the whole exterior of the red brick school, 
removing the old paint, repointing, um, removing all the boards on the eaves that have um, lead paint in them and replacing all those, um, replacing the two doors with doors that look exactly like and um, also replacing the windows in the building that will have the old look on them. We found some photos from years ago. Um, as you know, we're working on, I'm working a lot right now on this building. We have a lot of improvements going here. We did the windows last year, but we have carpeting, painting, um, new boilers, new surveillance, a lot of things I'm working on currently. Um, and what's coming up, well, we've talked about in the fall, maybe get it, getting the police station study done, getting people together for that. That'll be a big one. That'll take some, some real time. And we still have Davis there out there as um, a reuse thing, which will be coming along before long once the building is um, in the hands of the town. So all those things, got a lot of folders open right now, and um, hopefully get all that stuff moving and done over the summer. Thank you, Mike. Questions, Council? Councilor DeLoco. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks, Mike. Uh, <clears throat> just kind of figuring out how you're handling, you know, I know you're sending things off the bid with the price increase on everything drastically going up and up. And do you, how do you figure that in your proposals? Or how do they, do we come back with like, like if we do the red brick school, are we gonna, they're going to come back with another $100,000? <laughs> we shouldn't. So that's yeah. a pretty new, so every, um, that's an engineering firm that we brought in last mm -hmm. fall on that. Uh, we had about two and a half months ago, we got the first round, we made some changes in the project. And just over the last couple weeks ago, we got the last estimate from the engineer. Uh, <clears throat> the architect for like the carpeting, the painting, yeah. that stuff's all current. Um, so we're really, every, design professional that works for us is required to submit an accurate up-to-date budget of what they think the project will cost. And um, they're looking at real-time stuff. They're looking at stuff they've been bidding over the last six months. So. Okay, because I know where I am, they, they've been putting in like a possible 15% increase, you know, and be prepared for that. Just wondering if they're throwing that in. Exactly. Exactly. So everybody um, going from a design contingency, there's some amount of money. Brick School's one of those out okay. there. That, um, that really don't. You never know totally what you're going to find or what extra thing you're going to have to do when you start these projects. So every project has a design contingency going from design to a yeah. hard construction bid. So okay, I just was wondering. Definitely. Okay. Thanks, Mike. And in most cases, where uh, most of these projects not only carry a design contingency, but they carry a construction contingency as well. as well. So you have two pieces. You know, if there's a design error, uh, you go after from the design piece, uh, design contingency, construction-wise, you go after the construction contingency. Councilor Jones. <clears throat> Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, Mike. The school's custodial staff falls under your purview, correct? 
That's correct. Um, one of the things I've heard on several occasions is A, that the custodial staff is having a particularly difficult time at the Franklin High School in regards to trying to A, keep up with much of which happens at the high school. And another thing I wanted to bring up is that on several occasions that I've been at the high school, um, I've noticed there to be a significant amount of litter, trash, and other lingering things that, that kind of propagate around the perimeter of the school. And I don't know if it's a staffing issue or if it's just, you know, kids are just getting a little extra jubilant and these things tend to end up in the bushes, they end up in rocks and the building itself for all intents and purposes has been uh, quite littered. And I don't know if you have staffing issues or if this is issues really being addressed. Um, and, is, and is this common throughout the other schools as well? I haven't been to Horace Man. It hasn't been in the other schools. That the, I mean, I. In deference to the kids, the kids have had a much tougher last couple of years yeah. than any of us expected, um, and so the past year has been a much tougher year, inside, outside. Um, I sense it in all my staff, uh, but they seem to be coming together better. You know, going towards the end of the year, graduation go, going to be happening. Um, this is a much better running year than last year, um, and that's more the whole thing. But in the um, when you talk about the outside of the building, we have had frequent discussions between um, the DPW, the athletic director, um, Ryan from recreation. And everybody that's got kids outside using, you know, the spaces, and um, litter has been a constant issue that we've been dealing with. Um, it seemed to have gotten a little better since the teams actually got formed and the coaches. Um, Tom Angelo had said, a little, said something to all the coaches, you know, pick stuff up. Um, we try to get outside. We're just not outside that much because there's as many things going on inside for my staff. Um, but we hope to, and in concert with a local um, trash company, we're trying to, uh, facilities last year did partner in the fall and is going to be again with the DPW. Um, when you talk about fields and outside barrels and everybody that's using the field, recreation, um, the town leagues to try to get that. So we're all trying to do that. That's, I wanted to bring it to your attention yep. so, that it, so that at least it was on your radar of something to keep uh, aware of. I mean, I've, I've heard several things through custodial staff about um, them having some difficulties just keeping up with the level of the, the, the kids' trash, throwing pizzas on the, on the, uh, in the cafeteria and sticking with the walls and, and kids being kids. But, just a variety of things just want to bring to your attention if that had already been brought to your attention. I appreciate it. Well said, Council. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Councilor Hamilton. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Through the chair. To Mike. Hi, Mike. Thanks for being here tonight. Um, and thank your whole staff for what, what they do. I just wanted to ask you a question about the Horseman Project. Um, I know that we have flooding there. Is this about how, how do we fix it? Or we already know how to fix it, and we're going to get it fixed? 
Um, is it the start of the whole project, or how long do you think it's going to take? Which um, is kind of like probably guesswork, right? So the plans were all done oh. last summer, and we went out to bid, and it came in extraordinarily high. Um, but it was running into school too, so it was all going to be second shift work. Um, we did get money from capital comparable to the bids we had been getting in the summer and in the late fall. And right now they're just making a few final changes to the documents. And that's all ready to go out to bid. And we believe we have solved the problem and we're going pumping into the same area that we're going to be pushing it through. So uh, that could be, that should be an early summer project. Great. Thank you. Well, Thank you, Mr. Chandler. Thank you, Councilor Handler. Councilor Chandler. Through you, Mr. Chandler. And Mike. I've actually asked this question in the past, I think. Councillor Jones brought up the custodians. I, I see that you have quite a few open 19-hour positions. Uh, can you not fill those? So we hadn't been able to, but um, just recently we've actually uh, been able to... Um, We've hired three people just recently. Okay. And we've gone such a long time. I mean, they're, they're actually pretty good paid positions. They're working in, it's a four hour night person working five days a week in a town building. We do go into um, police and fire. We try to get in there at least one day on a weekend. But there was a period that we we get, you know, answering the ad, we get people, We'd actually sit there, Richard and Karen would sit there to interview, and three people who told us they were coming wouldn't even show up. Okay, so it, yeah. it's a personnel issue too. That's why I saw some open positions, and I thought that might help with some of the outside, because if, if you walk around the track, I mean, the garbage barrels are filled. He's, he's not just, it looks pretty bad. Yeah, and that's one of the things we're working on yeah. with, with DPW and us to. All right, I'm just wondering outside. about those open positions. That yeah, it is definitely an issue. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Councilor Chandler. Any other councilors? Just to follow up on Councilor Jones's uh, question, uh, is there a need for more outside containers? More around the fields? Just a question. I think there's probably adequate containers. It just doesn't get put in the containers. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. uh, I was going to say, I thought we put a lot of them in. Sorry. It's, it's the jubilance, Steve. <laughs> that is the jubilance. Okay. Seeing no other questions from the council, anyone in the audience? Anyone in Zoom land? Mike, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Okay, next department held uh, is 210 Police. Chief. Chief, again, uh, let me just begin by saying thank you to you, your entire department, staff, administrative team. The job the police do and the life-threatening situations you sometimes have to put yourself in is amazing. We certainly do appreciate 
every single thing the police department does to help keep our community safe. And I just wanted to stop with that statement and everything that's going on out there in the world today is so important. And uh, I can't thank the entire police department uh, enough. So many in the community may not know the word that Jamie brought up earlier. What is accreditation? Uh, and I'm going to give you the floor because I'm not sure I can answer it. Yeah. <laughs> What's being accredited and why is it so important and how many communities are accredited in Massachusetts? So, thank you, Mr. Chairman, members <laughs> of the council. Uh, thank you for those comments, too. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, the town is blessed with the staff that we have at the police department. No question. Uh, they, they do a tremendous job. Uh, you know, so I, I, I'm proud of everything that they've been able to accomplish over the years and this past year and what they're going to be able to you know, real curious about what they're going to accomplish. And one of the things is accreditation. But I'm going to do one better than having me have the floor. Just so happens we have the accreditation manager here. <laughs> and Deputy Chief West. Why did he see my notes? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. He was coming anyway. It's just good, you know, just in case this came up or anything else. Good evening. Thank you, Chief. Um, so accreditation. Uh, basically, uh, the Massachusetts Police Accreditation Commission they establish standards that we need to follow and there's currently 332 standards that we have to meet to become fully accredited. Uh, those standards range from policies and procedures, they're all best practices in the industry. Some of them are equipment related, some of the facilities related like our booking, uh, evidence rooms, holding facilities. Um, so in June, June 22nd and 23rd, the assessment team will be coming to Frankville PD to inspect all of those standards to make sure we meet them all. Uh, there's physical inspections, they inspect all of our policies and procedures, and they hold us to the standard. Not only do we have to have the policies and procedures in place, but we have to prove that we follow them. For example, training, um, everything that we do, we have to show that we've done, uh, or else we don't pass. So hopefully that answers your question. does. <laughs> How many, how many communities are accredited? Currently, I believe there's 100 communities that are fully accredited. Um, the first step in the accreditation process is certification, which we were certified last year in May. Um, that's 159 standards that we have to meet out of the 332. So we were certified last year. This year, we'll have to do the rest to be fully accredited. So and, uh, again, it's, a, it's a, a risk management tool for us and we make sure we're following the best practices. We have all the policies and procedures in place and that we're following them appropriately. So great. Thank you. Sir. Questions from the council? Councilor DeLocco. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you, Chief. Uh, you, you guys, they, they do do a great job. You've done a great job hiring. I'm just kind of curious, um, this year, do you intend to put any kids through the academy? Okay, so yeah, an answer to that. Because right now we got three Franklin kids that are in the academy for Adderall. One of them is Timmy Nagel's kid who works for you, Joe Corsi, and I forget the third one. So I'm just kind of curious if we're gonna ever put people through the academy or we just gonna throw our Franklin kids aside. I mean, with, so the issues with the whole thing with the academy is, and how to put somebody through it is, it, it, there's a number of different things. Number one, 
is one of the issues we're going to continue to have in the future unless something changes is hiring in general. Six years ago, when we had our entry exam, over 250 people mm -hmm. were, in the, were in the cafeteria at the high school and took the test. Three years ago, it was 175. Yeah, it's all over. This past uh, November, it was 40. Yeah, you are happy. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So there were 40 people that took the test. Not everybody passed. So I mean, our, our list is very short, and not you know, and there were some few from Franklin, but there weren't you know a, a lot. Um, Again, going back to the structural issues that we have, or, or just in law enforcement in general, when it comes to the way that we've done business for, the, for decades, is you hire a certain number of people, and then you depend on overtime to cover when people are going to be out and so forth. For the Franklin Police Department, for as long as I've been a member of the department, we have only ever had one over the minimum, meaning the minimum number of officers that we feel is absolutely necessary for their safety, and for the call for service volume so that we can professionally do our jobs and respond when we're needed. It's only one over the minimum, which means that when we're fully staffed and we have one per, uh, and somebody ends up either being sick or uses a vacation day or, or whatever it may be, um, when you get to that second person out, we're into an overtime situation. Third person, overtime situation. We've only been fully staffed for two weeks in the last five years because we've had people out on injuries, We've had people out on extended illnesses. We've had, you know, just uh, any number of things. And all the retirements we've had, how long before you end up being able to fill those positions? So we're running at the minimum or even below the minimum. So you're talking automatic overtime. And I'm trying my best to make sure that we meet budget every single year. And we've successfully been able to yeah, do We've been successfully able to do that. So one of the things that comes up is what's the difference between hiring somebody to go to the academy and hiring somebody that's a transfer. If we're going to hire somebody off the list, it's going to take anywhere from three to five months from the time that we bring, you know, we bring the people in, we end up interviewing them, we do all the pre-employment back, you know, the background checks and the medical and the physical and the whole nine yards, and then wait for an academy to have an open spot where they pass their physical agility test, their physical fitness test, and now they're finally in. Three to five months, six-month academy, and then a 13-week field training. So you're talking anywhere from 13 to 15 months that that open slot is going to remain open with nobody in it because we have an individual going through the academy. When we go and hire a transfer, I'm getting an already academy trained, an individual that has experience anywhere from two to five to ten. You know, we've, got, we've run the gamut over the last 28 people that we've hired. They've run the gamut from a couple of years to you know a decade or more on the job. When that process takes three months from interviews, pre-employment, this and that, and then when they're on, it's usually about a four-week field training because we're not really teaching them how to do the job. They've already learned it. They just need to know our computer systems, our record management system, our way of doing business. So the turnaround is much faster. Mm -hmm. If we didn't hire the transfers that we had, I would have been before you a number of times asking for tens of thousands of dollars because we just, and the other issue that goes with this is that in the past, most offices loved overtime and they would voluntarily accept overtime. We're running into, even with the way we've done business, a lot of times That's having everywhere. to force people to work, meaning that, because we, you know, we can force people to work. 
We're yeah, a paramilitary organization. We have, a, we have a, an obligation to staff the town appropriately mm -hmm. with public safety. You can't do that. So when they don't want to take it, somebody's getting ordered. Somebody's getting forced. And we have a lot of forcing. We had a lot of forcing going on with COVID and everything else. And I can only imagine the disaster. I've had nobody leave in the last five years but one individual mm -hmm. that's actually taken a job with another municipality. I've brought in 20 plus from other agencies. Um, and I'd hate to put ourselves in a position where it, it, it would have been in a position where I think people would have started looking for somewhere else because they were just tired of getting forced, you know, tired of getting forced to work. So there's a lot of different things that go into it. But, and as I put in my budget statement, I would love to hire people off the list, but I would have to get to that two or more over the minimum, which would be another five or six offices. But it's a, it's a, it's a drastically expensive endeavor. It's a shame you can't take care of the people in Franklin. It really is. I, you know, and I agree with you, but I, I, you know, as far as I'm familiar with Patrick Nagel's situation, this and that, um, I, I think he wanted to go to Alabama anyway, and I did everything I could to make sure that was going to happen. You know, I'm not saying he was hired on the merits, but certainly he did. And I would, and if I can't put people through the academy because we can't do it, I've offered to put people through no, you as, of self-sponsors, no, and yeah, sometimes we get lucky that a position opens, but if it didn't, they may have a chance to get on somewhere else. So I'm doing the best I can on a no, second no, thing. Like, hey, I'll give you an opportunity. I agree with you, Vinci. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Is that Councilor mm -hmm. Councilor Chandler. Through you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Councilor DeLuca brings up excellent points. And obviously you said you'd like to hire the Franklin kids. I think the bottom line is that we're going to need a number that it costs you know, seven thousand for the academy. It costs seven thousand to pay him while he's in the academy. It costs this much in overtime to replace the guy. And then, as a council, you know, if we want Franklin kids, then we need to, you know, talk to Mr. Allen and tell him this is what we, this is the money we need to find. And you know. It, it has been frustrating for us. I know it's, it's easier for the chief, it's, it saves money, and it's kind of the way we've been doing it. But I yeah, you can't blame the chief. No, 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 I'm saying no, he wants to hire. And like you no. said, if we gave you a certain amount of money to do that, then why not do it? But it's gonna be a budget issue. Yeah. And, and it always is. But I, I think it, it depends on how many of us really want Franklin kids to, you know, get on or whatever. I mean, it's going to be the same thing with, with, with the fire department. But that's a little easy. You just go and get your paramedic, and, and at least then you have a good shot. Um, it's too bad there's only 40 people took the test. That's uh, it is. That's everywhere. It is. I, I, it's the way it is. No one wants the job. I mean, sign of the times. It's it's not just Franklin either. Um, it's it's everywhere. You know, whether it be non-civil service departments doing their own or the civil service, the number of people that took it is like way, it's, it's drastically lower than it was a decade ago or 20 years ago. It's drastically, and, 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 and Councilor Chandler, you make a great point. We did do that at one time. Yeah. We knew the two officers were going to be retiring. Yeah. I asked the town for money to be able to take two people off the list to be able to put them in there so that we could fund it while they were still here. Of course, I have to know that somebody's leaving. We've done some things through collective yeah. bargaining to kind of incentivize them, giving us a lengthy uh, heads up of when they're gonna retire, nine months or more would be great so that we could put people through. And now that we're at full staff, we might be able to at some point. You know, uh, uh, it's just, we, in looking at everything before, it was, it was a combination of 
wellness and not trying to keep you know, trying to keep morale up so that the officers weren't getting you know forced to work uh, and finances. So yeah. it's a combination. Right. No, it, I just I just feel bad. I still think it cuts our occupant our pool in half a little bit because I use me as an example. You know, when I went to the academy, I had, I had a one year old and a six month old a wife, and, and we got paid. And I would never ever be able to do that if we weren't getting paid. It just wouldn't happen. So that's another reason why maybe they open up the doors to some other people that you know might be 28, 29 years old that want to get in, but they just can't afford to leave their construction job. They can't afford to leave their computer job. Just some thoughts. But I think if we got a number and we could put something together, it might be, it'd be easier for you. I think the big key uh, that Chief Lynch said. I don't want uh, just you have the floor. Yeah. I'm, I'm also the chairman. Okay. Council of the No, I think the big key to the chief is, is that the people told him that they were going to retire in a year. Then he could do something. You know what I mean? If, if Amy told you a year ago he was going to retire, you could have hired somebody and put him to, because that would cover James. You know, I get you there. But I know that when I took the police exam back in the 80s, it was over 100,000 people that took the, <clears throat> took the uh, civil service test. And I talked to my buddy that retired from Boston PD. He said the last time it was like, what, I, don't it was 10, think, I think it was like nine or 10,000. Yeah. Yeah. That's the difference. That's what we're facing. Excuse me, sorry about No, that's that. okay. Uh, yeah. Councilor Hamlin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, to, through the chair to the chief, congratulations on the impending yes. accreditation. Um, and, and uh, Deputy Chief West, I was wondering if um, there was more training that is necessary for the accreditation. Absolutely. I mean, the, well, there's training that you know, Deputy Chief West and and you know, uh, Patrolman Richard Martini, who's our admin uh, patrol officer, they go to for accreditation, and then being accredited makes it so that we have to do all the training you know that basically is mandated through the standards you know some of the standards are that you will do training um and so yeah there's, there's a lot of, you know there's been a lot there's been an increase in what we have to do um the way our schedule is with the the, the time that the officers owe back has been instrumental that's kind of like how we could do the active shooter training that we did uh yesterday and on monday uh as well as the budget itself um, we've had a lot of turnover uh so we've you know in key positions so we've we've had a you know, we've been doing a lot of training, you know, sending people out and so forth, uh, you know, to get that done. But accreditation does make us do it and uh, makes it so that we can't forget it and we can't ignore it um, because they're going to come back and check on it in three years if we are accredited to make sure that we did everything we said. You know, it's one thing to have it in a policy. It's another thing it's in policy and you actually do it. Uh, and that's kind of what accreditation, you know. But I love the more training. I mean, that's, um, it, will it raise your budget more every year or, or do you think it'll be a... A straight um, training. I, I mean, the budget was raised. Uh, the budget was raised this year due mm -hmm. to the fact of all the turnover. Like I said, key positions: deputy chief, lieutenant, uh, admin sergeant, a couple of uh, detectives, and you know. And now I'm losing two of my long-standing community service personnel, so they all have to go to you know and different specialized uh, trainings and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, training is the key to make sure that we continue to do as well as we do. Um, and so I'd hate to see you know we don't want to skimp on that uh, if uh, we can. No. So you're one over the minimum. Um, does that uh, police officers? So sometimes there's a lot of overtime. And you said there was only two weeks where you had a full. This past year you had full staff. 
in operations of 30 patrolmen and seven sides. Does that, does that jeopardize accreditation? No. That you could potentially just have to have people on overtime? No, it, it, it wouldn't really affect accreditation. Um, I was also going to ask a little bit about um, recruits. So I, I, um, I was wondering if there was any outreach to build diversity in the force. Uh, if there's any grants out there to support uh, minority um, candidates. If um, I know you guys go to Dean and Tri-County to talk to people about the career day, which is awesome. I didn't know if you went to like Framingham State to talk to, talk to um, people, to students there about the possibility of being on the police force as a career. There are other schools that we, you know, Merrimack College and uh, Frankenberg um, State actually have programs where uh, individuals go for a criminal justice degree. Mm -hmm. They're there for five years. Uh, it includes, you know, four years of programs that gets their bachelor's, some extra classes, and then their last year they actually go on an academy on campus, mm -hmm. a police academy. And so then they graduate and they basically have a master's and their academy under their belt. Um, we haven't hired anybody directly from that, but one of our transfers was part of that program that came from Hawkington. Um, and, and Deputy Chief West was one of, he was the original senior staff instructor or drill instructor at the Fitchburg Academy. So we do have it in there. Uh, and, we're, yeah. and so we're, we're, we're trying to use something like that to be able to, again, those people that are fully trained, ready to go, you know, have the degree because we're, you know, we're a degree uh, department. You have to have at least an associate's degree or we, we cannot hire but yeah, we're, we're, we're trying to diversify. When you have to do transfers, you basically get what comes in. If we can get to a point where we can use the list, then we might be able to actually utilize the list a little bit more and try to you know, put somebody through the academy. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Councilor Hamlin. Councilor Frangelo. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'll echo a, a lot of the same um, gratitude and appreciation for the, the staff that you have and, and our officers, I mean, we've been reminded all too frequently lately um, just, you know, how important you guys are to, to our community, um, and we really do appreciate you. I have a few um, clarifying questions and then one um, more question question. Uh, the clarifying questions, um, two of the big increases, um, and, and just one big item in general, um, were conferences and education incentive. Maybe it's inappropriate to uh, lump that together, but just trying to understand what those uh, items are. Conferences is the tuition, uh, basically what we pay tuition out of to send officers to, to training. And I know it's called conferences and, and meetings, but it is actually the tuition that uh, we actually use to pay for those specialized schools that the Mass Police Training Committee does not offer for free. Uh, so if you want to send somebody to a, you know, like a management-related school, like Jason Riley, Lieutenant Riley is going to uh, the Suffolk University uh, Mass Municipal Association uh, training that's coming up. It's like $2,500. Uh, so he can go every Friday for the next 25 Fridays to Dartmouth so that, you know, he can basically learn more than just, you know, once you get to the level of a lieutenant, you're no longer a cop. You might wear a uniform and everything else, but you're basically admin. And so how does all this system work? You know, and, and that's pretty much what he's going to, you know, he'll be going to learn. But that's what that is. It is the tuition that we have to pay to send people to train. And the, the education incentive, that's $750,000? That's the incentive that we pay to officers for having the degrees that they have. It's, a, it's basically back before 2009 when the state stopped paying the Police Career Incentive Pay Program, also known as the Quinn Bill. 
Um, then the town ended up absorbing the whole thing. Um, there was a split between the newer offices and the, uh, and, and the existing offices, but we worked on that uh, in 2016 to get rid of it. Um, otherwise, we would be like some of the departments where I'm gaining offices who are coming over on transfers. Uh, I won't name those departments, but uh, those departments are not paying the incentive to the level that we are, unlike us in Norwood and Walpole. And those officers are now jumping from those departments, looking for other departments because they can basically walk in the door and make $10,000 to just put their pants on uh, and show it up to work. Um, I foresaw that we would end up being, and that's what they are, they're, they're training departments now. They hire, they train them, and then they find out that, hey, a couple towns over, I can do you know, much better for doing the same job. You take that along with our schedule, the four and four and some other things, like all the training that we do. I mean, we just got complimented over the last two days from a number of new offices that came on and said, geez, we've never had anything even close to this in our agency. If we knew that, maybe we would have tried to transfer earlier. Um, it's one of the reasons we're not having the same problems as other agencies up to this point with hiring people. It's keeping that educational side. Just speaking up back to you, so this is a, a critical piece to retaining and attracting uh, officers. Change that, we'll have a serious problem. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. Um, the, the last bigger question that is, uh, yeah, it has sort of already uh, been touched on, but certainly uh, coverage or overtime, especially, but coverage and overtime. I mean, between the two, we're spending you know over six hundred thousand uh, dollars just filling spots uh, with people that we we already have. Um, I'm certainly open uh, to hearing you just tell me that we just need more bodies. Uh, but I, I wonder how much um, or why, and I was able to um, ask Councillor Chandler uh, at least piece of this, uh, but how much we look into uh, opportunities to replace roles that are currently uh, being held by officers or duties being held by officers, replace those with um, other people that may cost uh, less money. Um, certainly, you know, mental health. Uh, we, we've, uh, I know that we've started to add more officers. Maybe it makes, would it make sense to have more? Um, a, a common one is traffic details. You know, is that someone that would need a, a uniform officers? Uh, restorative justice. I know that uh, 35 communities in, in Massachusetts have restorative justice, where they will divert some. Um, works toward the community for sort of justice network. Um, how often are we looking at these opportunities, and um, you know, are there opportunities to uh, reduce the demand for our current officers? So, like the current complement of officers, fifty-four sworn, and then the other two are civilians that we have. Uh, one doing records and other IT related stuff. And then we have another that, that basically does, you know, all the finances, pays the bills, et cetera. So we only have two civilians that currently work at the department. All the other job, the, the jail diversion program clinicians, uh, they're civilians as well. They're social workers. They're licensed social workers, they're not law enforcement. Uh, one is funded from a grant, and if we're very lucky and we're able to do it, we'll have a second one uh, shortly. You know, after July, if we get, you know, once the county hopefully releases the uh, American Recovery Plan uh, money. Um, in traffic, you still have to be a law enforcement officer in Massachusetts to pull a car over. The individuals you see on detail, that's not part of the budget. Um, the details come out of a separate revolving account in which they do the work, they get paid, but the vendors actually pay the town. 
Um, so if they're out there with Verizon or National Grid or whatever else, um, National Grid pays the entirety of what the officer does and the town actually gets a 10% on top of that that goes right to the general fund. Awesome. Uh, the, the piece about the social workers, it's my understanding that those have been uh, massively helpful. Uh, should we continue to, to, to hire more? And, and uh, what opportunity uh, do we have to you know, continue to replace duties that would otherwise be held up? Uh, they've been incredibly, incredibly helpful. I mean, when Callie Montagano, our one in our original uh, jail diversion program clinician, came on several years ago, uh, when she ended up getting a promotion and has been gone, we we felt it pretty significantly. You know, she's been gone for several months. Uh, her replacement has finally started, Sam Du Bois. So he he's now with us, um, and like I said, we're able to now work with advocates. Whereas Sam's position is through a grant that's into the fourth year of a ten-year grant. Um, the opera money will you know I think we put it for a three-year period uh, to fund an additional one. Again, working with Medway and, and sharing the costs. Um, and I and this will provide additional coverage, you know, uh, for times where normally can Kelly could be there all the time. Obviously, um, I think with the two would be pretty good. We'll see what happens, and then yeah, I, I, if we need more, I'll have no problem coming up and requesting additional, you know, monies uh, if possible to be able to do that. Because uh, no, they're invaluable right now. With, uh, between what's going on with the mental health related issues, uh, the opioid uh, issues, because they do all the follow ups. You know, trying to assist people uh, that we know of that may have had an overdose or have a problem to try to get them into treatment. And they've been successful in getting a number of people into treatment. Awesome, thank you. That's how, I guess my, my uh, question with the, the detail piece, I, I love hearing that the cover, um, that, that the outside vendors have to cover them. Um, I do know that that often impacts ourselves. We're often the vendor that then has to uh, cover that. Uh, but also, you know, if we're if we're short for bodies and we're forcing people to work, you know, all the money in the world to cover it, you know, it's, it's great. Um, but we're still short for bodies and forcing people to work. How often? But why don't we look uh, at civilians doing some of those details? Uh, we actually have. We, we we're trying a pilot program now for what's called traffic constables. Uh, which would basically be non-law enforcement, that that's all they do is direct traffic. They wouldn't do security-related details like a, a, you know, a game or you know, some other type of thing that we might have or an alcohol-related event, uh, but they would end up doing traffic. Uh, so we're working on that. Uh, we've offered it to the fire department uh, first, and we'll see what happens. Uh, we do have a group of specials, so they have retired Franklin police officers that are you know, retired, they run, you know, and, and they are keeping up their, now they have to keep up their certification. Um, so they you know, the post commission and police reform has made it a little difficult uh, because any of the officers that were part time or went to a permanent admitting academy and this and that, if they don't go to the bridge academy and come up with the 2,500 hours of on the job out in a cruise of work, they're all losing their jobs on June 30th. Um, we're fortunate that we have all full timers. It hasn't really affected us. There are a number of towns and communities around us that are really going to feel that pain uh, when they lose all those offices on June 30th because they just no longer can work. Um, especially the western part of the town, the Cape, the islands, uh, they're, they're feeling it. Uh, you know, I talked to some counterparts down there and they don't, they're, they're, they're in a bad way. They're just not going to have the staff that they're going to need. It's going to be tough. Well, thank you. This is all helpful and I look forward, if it makes sense, uh, for you to present uh, 
know, an idea of the traffic constables flipping too. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I guess I would just end with, with a final thank you. I, one of the other things that I, I really appreciate about you and your staff is any opportunity there is for community involvement. You've always shown up. Um, I, I uh, love seeing you on the Practice Freedom team uh, calls every month. Um, and, and when you can't make it, someone else is always uh, stepping up and, and doing so with a smile. So uh, I really appreciate that uh, about your staff in particular. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Fongelo. Any other counselors? One last quick question, maybe quick. Moving forward, what's the most substantial challenge uh, facing the police today? I, I would say, as we talked about- Probably know the answer. Yeah. Hiring. Hiring. Hiring, I mean, we've been fortunate thus far with what we've been able to do and the number of candidates that we get. I mean, I've done so many interviews, if I don't do another interview again, I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Because if it's not them, it's the promotions and so forth, which are a little better, to, you know, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, we've done, you know, so hiring is gonna be tough, just as I said. The younger generation is not interested in being police officers for a number of different reasons. Um, so the pool is getting really thin. Uh, we haven't had a problem yet, but I anticipate that we might. Which brings to staffing. As I've already said, you know, we could use some more so that we won't have these problems. We can potentially diversify better if we can use the list, even with the few that are on it, uh, you know, things like that. The police station. The building's in great shape, I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm not gonna try and say that it's not. The problem is, is it's too small. Mm -hmm. We just do not have the room with where we're at now. We didn't have it when we had 46, five years ago. Now we're 54. There's no locker room space. There's no more office space. I have people in closets. I have people in what used to be a dark room. It was built in 91. They were still using Polaroids and other types of stuff. You know? um, I have two people in closets. I mean, there's just not enough room. Uh, the, 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 the woman's lock, the female officer locker room is very small, and they're gonna be, you know, if, if we keep going the way we're going, we're gonna run out of space in that very, very short. I'm talking really run out of space in that. But the male locker room, the lockers are small. Um, we just need space, and we can't really build out or build on or whatever else because of where we're at. You know, um, we're running out of space for parking. You see that we park across the street over by the, the veterans rink and so forth. So I definitely say a police station is something, and we're doing the study and all, and I appreciate the town, you know, coming forth with that, and hopefully things will go. Um, mental health related issues. It's just a constant thing. It just keeps happening all the time. We're, we're witnessing it. It doesn't seem to be getting any better. It seems to be getting worse, but, you know, Filling Callie's role with Sam and now having a second clinician will, will definitely help us out in that. And um, the op opioids, and, and, and it hasn't gone away. It's actually become somewhat worse since the pandemic, but the mm -hmm. pandemic has kind of taken over the, the narrative. Um, it's, it's still going on, and the problem for us right now is identification of people who need that help. Uh, naloxone, otherwise known as Narcan, has become so prevalent that most people have it at home. You know, so if something happens, there's still a stigma around being addicted. Um, and so they're not calling the fire, they're not calling us. They're basically get sometimes not even going to the hospital. You know, so they're giving the, the Narcan at, at home and we don't even know about it. Um, so that we can't end up trying to help them and, and try to convince them, we're here for you, we have services, you know, let's try to get you into, you know, a detox and rehab. So it's, it's, it's gonna become more of a challenge. But we're working with the Safe Coalition and all you know, all the others, uh, and we're still trying to put those that are selling this stuff, you know, away as best we can. And we're making some progress, but it will never be enough. Just, 
just to go back for a second to your uh, point about hiring, I know a few years ago we changed the hiring process. That we and I guess my question would be, are we still comfortable that we're, we've, that change was the correct change and it's helping us identify the right candidates for our police department? I think, Mr. Chairman, I'm assuming you're saying I switched from civil service to non-civil service. Mm -hmm. um, when I talk to my peers, and I talk to them often, uh, especially my peer, you know, my, when I talk to my peers that are in civil service departments, they're the ones that are having a much worse time than we are trying to fill positions, regardless whether because they're constricted by so many rules. They can only hire off their list. They're going through, their, their list is small because not as many people are taking the test. They go, the quality of the people is not as good. They're going through every everything they have, and then they're trying to pick up transfers, but they can only pick up transfers from civil service departments. You can't pick up a non-civil service. You certainly can't hire on state or any of those things. So the, the options are now limited at a time when you need as many options as you can possibly have because of what's going on, what's going on culturally. People not wanting to be, you know, uh, it's just the, the desire to be a police officer. If it was, you know, if it was it was like Council DeLoco said back in the day, you know, everybody took the test. You know, everybody wanted to be a police officer. It was a job that they aspired to, and it's just not that way anymore. Okay, anyone in the audience? Anyone out on Zoom land? Chief, thank you. Deputy Chief, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thank, thank you, you guys. You're doing a great job. Okay, next department, health. On the public safety, 220, fire, chief. I'm just gonna, once again, I know your department's glowing these days over the new ISO 1 designation, and as well they should be. I'd be remiss if I didn't say thank you to the entire Franklin Fire Department staff and administrative team that were a part of getting that designation. Mike was asked of the police chief, can you give us your personnel status of the department for FY23 budget? Right now our status is 55 of the 56 firefighters are filled. We had a, a retirement that was unexpected that we have an opening for right now. We have one civilian, one executive assistant, uh, Tracy. So at full staff, we're at 56 one firefighters and one civilian. So right now at this time, we have one vacancy and it should be filled by July, hopefully. Thank you. Looking down the road the next five years, not saying you're going to get it. <laughs> what are the next investment of fire services for the town media? Yeah, well, I know I mentioned uh, to this council before, staffing, equipment, and training are probably the three most important components to have a successful fire department. In the last few years, we've made terrific strides with staffing a couple of years ago, we went from 52 to 56. Uh, equipment, we certainly got our two engines. We have a new ambulance, we have another one to be delivered shortly. Um, I will say, and I, I did make testimony at the FinCom meeting that right now, our ladder trucker headquarters is crossman. And it's cross-staffed with the ambulance. And the ambulance uh, runs going up, and when they go out on a run and they do a transport, uh, depending on which hospital they transport to, that could be an hour turnaround time, up to 45 minutes to an hour. So at that time, 
the splatter truck doesn't have personnel assigned to it. So I, you know, the, the question was asked to me at the FinCon meeting. I said that in the perfect world, eight more firefighters, uh, two per each shift, would be great. So we'd have that truck manned all the time. In addition to that, we could also man a third ambulance. If the ambulances were very busy, we could actually get a third ambulance rolling in town without relying on mutual aid if in fact that got busy. We know it's a cost. As you know, we've applied for the safer grant the last several years here. We will continue to apply for the safer grant. Um, the grant should be all awarded mid-June. We just found out last week. We've got $2.5 million worth of personnel, equipment, um, training. We have that all submitted and hopefully it works out. If we don't get it, we'll keep doing it again. Um, we're, gonna, not, we're not sitting back. We're all doing our best to make sure we can get as much funds outside of the, uh, the town that we can to offset that cost, so that's our goal. And equipment, um, we're in great shape with equipment, but um, the ladder truck, going back to the ladder truck, the ladder truck is 2008, and uh, my goal starting in July is to go on a fact-finding mission to get all the information I can about what a refurb costs for that truck, how long it'll be out of service for a refurb, what a new fire ladder truck costs, if there's an option to uh, trade in the one we have now, I just want to get all the data, get all that information presented to the town administrator with all the facts, and hopefully I would like by the fall to make a decision as to what we're going to do, because whether it's a new truck or whether it's a refurb truck, it's going to be 18, 24 months out. So that truck right now is 15 years old. It's good for another couple of years as is, but we need to have the discussion now, I think, for the, uh, to make that decision going forward. We can't use the 1949. <laughs> the union will be at my front door. <laughs> Had to ask. No seat belts, it won't be good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, questions from the council. Councilor Jones. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Chief, in regards to uh, Chairman Mercer's comments about equipment and needs uh, for the future, one of the things that uh, you and I have had this discussion as well as um, Carlucci in regards to specific requirements for equipment necessary to extinguish electrical vehicle fires and the future of some of the things that are coming down the pipe. Um, for instance, we talk about the Rosenbauer battery extinguishing system technology, things that um, things that would be nice to have, but I think in, in, in a relatively short amount of time, they're going to become necessities in order for you guys to fight these types of fires. Because as we've discussed, you know, takes at least what ten times more water. It does. Just that's to that's extinguish. the biggest issue. And I don't I don't think our town administrator likes to hear that we're going to be spending more water just to put out a car fire. Mm -hmm. um, if there are other tools and other things available that we can manage to somehow find the money for or to find as you as you so eloquently put it outside of the town to right. get the funding to support these kind of tools necessary to help do your job safely. I, I for one, am a thousand percent behind um, working with you in whatever fashion to get you that type of equipment in order to keep everyone safe. I mean, one of one of the thing, one of, one of the shocking things, and this is kind of for the audience as well to understand, is that even even um, one electrical vehicle fire can go can go on for a day, a couple of days, yeah, because the battery itself won't extinguish. It requires it supplies its own oxygen, continues to burn. So one of the easiest ways for them to extinguish a vehicle fire is to actually take the vehicle and put it into a pool of water and leave it there. We don't currently have that type of technology at our fire department to handle those things as they're coming down the pike, which is something I want the counselors 
to understand that type of technology is going to be pricey. It's mm -hmm. need to, to, something we definitely need to look into to be able to consider. Um, and again, if there are any future needs, by all means, I uh, would love to hear those. I'm sorry, just so we're not saying about the And other than that, everyone's doing such a great job with the property. Congratulations again. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Councilor Jones. Councilor DeLarco. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. To you. Uh, <clears throat> Chief, so you were talking about the ladder truck getting rehabbed, right? So it's going to be now for 18 to 24 months at the minimum, right? What would you, what would, uh, you have to do? Would they give us a replacement? We'd have to make, for that duration, we'd have, have to make arrangements to have, uh, yeah, right. we have what we do, maybe with a vendor, um, reach out to a mutual aid community, because a lot of those communities don't have extra ladder yeah, trucks. Try to work with the vendor, but we would absolutely, before undertaking that, make sure that we had a vehicle protecting the town, not relying on mutual aid for that length of time. For yeah, sure. because we use Boston. We, we right. Take one on. And sure they, they lend them down this area as well. Yeah. The problem yeah. with the refurb is whatever number they give you on the onset, yeah. once they disassemble the truck, no, no. I can guarantee everyone here that that number is going to go up as the process goes I, on. I so can swear to that. So <laughs> <laughs> I definitely swear to that. And the other thing, if you can get something outside of Rosenbauer, please do it. We we, we haven't done that yet. <laughs> don't, don't. Done They're the worst. No. The trucks that we got last year have worked out very well for the time. Yeah. No, but anything from yeah. them. Okay. We'll do it. Right. Councilor Delaco? Yeah. 1949. Councilor Hamlin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, Thank you, Chief. It's good to see you tonight. I want to thank you and your whole staff and the GBW for the class ISO ISO one. Um, I know that Chairman Mercer didn't receive any um, <laughs> insurance premium lowering, but I did. So thank you. <laughs> um, I have a question about the ladder truck. Um, so, how what is is the height that it can reach? Can it reach four floors? Is it um, like if we're thinking about refurbished or new ladder, should we think about, you know, is it adequate now? It, oh, the truck is adequate now. Yeah. It's 100 feet. It has a platform. Uh, okay. Some don't have a platform. We think with the manpower that we have on it, the platform is probably the best thing for uh, potential rescues and for the safety of the firefighters. So mm -hmm. we probably want to stay with that. Um, the truck is fine right now. It's just, um, it's 15 years old, and we just got to get a plan. And that's all. We just want to get the information on what the, might be the best route. And I'll go to the TA, we'll discuss it, and we'll see if it's I, I love that you're planning ahead. And yeah, the way, well, they take a long time. People yeah. do things here in Franklin, that's great. Mm -hmm. It's um, about 24 months if you ordered one today to yeah. get it. Wow. Yeah, so. so, but is it like a four-story? Yeah. Four-story. It depends if it's a residential or commercial structure. But, yeah. Um, they get you they get that high for sure okay thank you um one other thing you were talking about eight personnel added on in a, in a perfect world yes um so would the eight personnel in the other truck would that actually fit in the two headquarters that we have or would we need then to have another space no no we don't right now that's how we operate now with the ladder truck is at headquarters we have an engine and we have the ambulance as, as well as the battalion chief Right now, the two members of the department that are assigned to the ambulance, they jump on the ladder if it's a fire call, not an ambulance call. So if they're not in the building, the truck is basically out of service. And if right. the other ambulance is out of service, then we gotta rely on mutual aid and our recall, which takes some time for them to come in. Okay. So to have that staffed, 
would be great. Again, there's a cost to it, and we're just trying to do our best to get the manpower. You know, if we get an AFG grant, we get the personnel for three years with no cost yet as uh, salary and benefits. It's very competitive, but we're just doing the best we can. That's that all we can do. That would be great, because you guys are the best. Right. So we'll and, and we have 13 <laughs> assigned to a shift right now. Okay. But our minimum minimum is 11. So right now, if the shift today had 13 people come to work, we'd have that ladder. We have two people assigned to that ladder, and it can also cross man that set that third reserve ambulance that's at headquarters. And so it, if it's, it's a busy, we've got the equipment. We've got a third ambulance ready to go. You just need the space. The lock room, don't need unlike any, the no. uh, police station, there's not enough room in the lock room. But no. you guys have enough room. No, unlike the police, we make it work. I'm gonna get a ticket tomorrow for that one. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you again, Chief. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Councilor Hanlon. And unlike the police, you have two locations they only have. Right. That's true. That's correct. So, uh, any other counselors? I have one quick question. Absolutely, Councilor Chairman. You just kind of touched on this. I always get a little confused about the ambulances, whether we use two or three. It seems like they're always running, so it feels we have like... Two. We have two from okay, line, so one at each station. One at each station. That's what's going on. That third one is. The That's only if we had 13 people on duty, and it's yeah. very rare. It's it, that if once one person's out, that's it. We can't do that. So that's and it's very rare. But we do have two extra personnel assigned to that minimum manning of 11. If we, if we did have that, we could do it. But it's extremely rare. Somebody's going to be out, especially this time of year. It's very rare to have a full 13 on the shift. Right. Understood. Okay. Yeah. I just didn't understand yep. all that. Yeah. No, I do. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. <laughs> Thank you, Councilor Chairman. Councilor, call me a ledger. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and want to echo my fellow councilors' comments. You guys are doing a fantastic job. My question really comes down to, and this is sort of pre-pandemic data, so I want you to correct me, but pre-pandemic, I know a lot of the 911 calls, because we have a shared dispatch center, were actually being answered by ambulances from other towns. Is that still the case? The dispatch center takes the calls. Right. But they dispatch, if it's in Franklin and one of our two trucks is in service, a Franklin ambulance goes to the call. Right, but are we, are we, are we seeing Franklin calls being answered by other towns or are Franklin calls being answered by our own department? It, it goes to the MEC. We, we belong to a regional communication center, the MEC, right. and there's six communities where one of them, so all the calls for all those communities are received by the dispatches that work at the MEC. They take all the calls for all the communities. We don't do any dispatching on the fire department. We don't take any calls and we don't dispatch. The MEC handles that. Okay. Is that answering the question? Uh, I don't think that's I don't think uh, James, go ahead. Okay. So as the Chief said, uh, Councilor Premier Ledger, if, if the MEC takes a call and, and we have an ambulance that's available that's not out on the streets already, that ambulance gets dispatched to the mm -hmm. to the to the to the place in Franklin. Right? Mm -hmm. If those units are already in service, this goes across the board. By the way, this is exactly how mutual aid works statewide with neighboring communities. If our units are in service at a fire or another medical call and they're all out, then an ambulance would come from another community, right. just like we would go to another community if all of their apparatus was in service at an accident on 495 or whatever we would dispatch ours. That's the mutual aid agreement. Um, I can't 
say I remember when this began because I think it's been in existence my entire life. Uh, but uh, mutual aid has been a common <laughs> practice throughout the state and throughout our town for. for yeah, no, I, I think mutual yeah. aid's fantastic. I think sharing expenses is fantastic. Yeah. I guess my my question really comes down to, I guess selfishly, like isn't it better for us to, because of reimbursement rates with ambulance yeah. responses and those kind of things, isn't it better for us to respond to our own uh, calls no if possible? Absolutely, absolutely. But so, so does that come down to we would, in a perfect world, need another ambulance with more crews so that we wouldn't have to outsource as much, or is that just me being naive? In calendar 21, there was 202 calls that we uh, received mutual aid, and it was about 55 that we rented mutual aid. So it's about a difference of about 150 calls. That was for calendar uh, 21. So that's where we're at right now. So we're monitoring those numbers. As those numbers increase, if we see more mutual aid coming in, then we can deal with that in the future, for sure. And through you, Mr. Chair, to answer your question, yes. <laughs> okay. In all sincerity, if yeah. we if we stacked up another ambulance, another ladder truck, uh, six more officers, eight more firefighters, uh, and just you know kept going, um, yeah, we would we would I think those numbers would in all likelihood be reduced. Right. But we'd also have to look at that time about what kind of call volume is coming in. I mean, I can say that that would match up, and we wouldn't have to go to mutual aid. Um, but as the other, as the chief also said a little while ago, um, you know that's also other communities tapping into us at some point. And so are we becoming a regional service for everybody else? We are so we have so much equipment and staff, where we're then just being a regional uh, public safety yeah. agency. So it's, it's a balance. But to answer your question, yeah, that dynamic would be there. You're not being naive. purely asking selfishly because I know you know it's. Be, be nice to have the money, right? But right. Uh, and that's nothing against us being good neighbors and helping and them helping us. All of that's fantastic. Right. It's just right. you know, one wondering perfect case scenario. Right. Okay, thank it you. Works out great, usually. Thank you, Councilor Cormier-Lander. Any other councilors? Uh, before I go to the audience, I'm going to just bring up uh, an old uh, discussion that. I brought up maybe seven, six or seven years ago. And that is, it seems like we're continuing to get a lot of calls from the assisted living centers within town where people have, individuals have fallen and their staff won't pick them up. So we send an ambulance to that location to basically help pick an individual up. One of the challenges I made to your predecessor was asking him to talk to these facilities and see if there's a way to privatize some of those calls and using a private ambulance service and not tying up our ambulances for basically a default. And I'm not trying to make light of uh, elderly person falling, but I'm just saying uh, it could be affecting uh, something much more drastic. We had had one place in particular that we've had an issue with, and yeah. we have gone out there. 
I went out there myself with the EMS captain. We have a conversation. At that time, it happened to be a new person coming in. It seems like it's, 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 it's ratcheted down quite a bit. But we do monitor that. And if there is a problem, that's our first step to do that. I believe the ordinance does allow for a fee um, if it becomes uh, burdensome that we can use as a tool if they don't want to listen to us or take any advice. If it becomes repetitive, we do have the ability through the town ordinance to uh, put a charge, which we haven't done since I've been here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess my, my only thought there is can we, you know, there's three or four of them in the town. Yes. Can we get all of them in the same room That's and maybe work together to try and deal with the issue? Yeah. That'd be a great suggestion. If we haven't done that. That's probably a good idea, good idea to have the conversation for sure. Yeah. Thank you, Chief. Uh, anyone in the audience with a question on Department 225? Anyone out in Zoom land? Chief, you're off the hook. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chief. Great job. Thank you, Chief. Keep that 1949 ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's talking to you back there. Okay, next item held is Department 225, uh, which is uh, Regional Dispatch and Council of Labor. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I had a question, and I don't know who to direct this to. Um, police or fire. Okay. But, um, I see a, a good size increase here, and I thought that it wasn't going to be costing us more money because we had other uh, communities involved with it. But this is from, uh, let's see, 435, 435,000 to 610,000. So I'd like to know what that increase is for. Okay, uh, I think. Uh, the town administrator is probably a good one to answer that because he's directly involved. One of the uh, blessings Mr. Nutting gave me was uh, the chair of the uh, Regional Dispatch Center Board of Directors. Uh, one of those things that gets stuffed in the other duties as assigned, I think, on the job description. But uh, it's been a learning curve for sure. Um, so the increase is because. If we didn't have the development grant through the state 911 center, this, this line item would be 1.3 million. And so if people may remember, we were successful two years ago in getting a grant for four years. It was a five-year grant, but for ultimately, for budget purposes, it was a four-year grant, where the full assessment for the town of Franklin, which is around 1.25 to 1.3 million this fiscal year, is actually 50% the town doesn't have to pay. So the reason in FY22 that that number is a little lower is because the grant paid for 75% of the annual assessment, not 50. So this year is 50%. FY24, the state will pay 75% again in the final year of that grant. And then in FY25, the full assessment for the town of Franklin will come back on the books at approximately 1.5 million. If we did not, if we did not merge with Mendon and Millville, and don't quote me on the exact dollar, but
but that would probably be at least 10 to 15 percent higher where the other district towns got a got a, a reduced assessment it doesn't really show right here because the state is picking up half the bill but um, if you looked at the pre-merger with Menden and Millville in the post all of the four original communities assessments was all reduced by about 10% or so across the board uh, and so that is it doesn't reflect directly in these numbers um, but uh, this is 50% of what the total assessment would be uh, and again FY24 it'll be 25% is what we'll have to pay and I just want to remind everybody we did set up a stabilization account specifically for the MEC um, and our public safety agencies here in Franklin um, in case there are any incidentals currently has about a million dollars in that stabilization account and it can only really be used for um, helping to ease back in. If we do go back to a full assessment in 25, um, I, I'm sincerely hopeful I can find some other magic trick to find some other grant program to help continue to pay off some of that bill. Uh, but that takes a tremendous amount of work. Um, and so uh, in FY25, that stabilization fund will help uh, ease back in the full assessment for Franklin. Uh, so in that year, it'll probably be about 1.4, 1.5. Just to follow up, are the other communities paying about the same as we are? It's not. It's not exactly the same because it's based on per, uh, population, population and call volume. Yeah. So by by just by being a larger community, we obviously pay the highest percentage. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Council. That was my question. Okay. That's all. Is there any other uh, questions on regional dispatch from the Council? Anyone in the audience? Anyone in Zoom land? Okay, moving on. Uh, the next department held is 292. Uh, Animal Control, Council of Chairman. Those are you, Mr. Chairman? There's nobody here, though, right? Uh, Mr. Chair, never in seven years since I've been here have they have they erected the. Oh, maybe. No, it's okay. I can I can leave a question with him. Sure. Yeah, this can go afterwards. Yeah. It's not a not imperative. Oh. No, uh, you can certainly ask a question. He can bring an answer tomorrow evening. Okay. Actually, I was kind of wondering, um, you know, we have to buy them all kinds of, we buy them trucks and vehicles and stuff. I was just wondering if now that the police department has two canine vehicles that we equip, you know, and one happens to be Ben's, so you know it's not going to be really beat on or anything. <laughs> Might even smell know. good. <laughs> not like the German Shepherd car. I didn't know they were able to, I didn't know if they were able to use one of those later on, you know, just because they're in town, it could be a hand-me-down. If they could use that fully equipped car and just, I mean, it's got everything they would need to just pick up any dog, even it, you know, even fans, everything in the back. So it was just a question. Maybe save them some money later on in vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so not sure, Mr. Chairman, I will raise the question to yeah. Tracy. Um, I will say after we did buy the vehicle last year, um, they run them pretty heavily into the ground. Yes. Um, I think, you know, I'm happy to ask them. I'm sure they could use it. I'm sure they wouldn't pass it. They wouldn't, you know, just, they wouldn't 
that we don't want it. Um, I, I would say that buying them a new vehicle, I think, you know, is kind of an uplifting, you know, experience. It, it gives them some, you know, I think a, a great asset. The, the building over there is still not in the best shape. You know, we still have some work to do on that, but um, but I will certainly ask Tracy if she'll take it. Or even as a stair or something. Yeah. yeah. Vehicles down. Okay. Absolutely. Just what you want. <laughs> Thank you, Council Chair. Uh, any other questions for animal control from the council? From the audience? From Zoomland. Okay. Moving on. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley, the piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.